My mama was a, a little bitty woman. And when she was dying, she was just not much left than just skin and bone. And uh, I would go back in my mind to when I would talk to her about the Lord. And I was asked if I would speak at this one church. It was five years after I had trusted the Lord. And Mama came out to this little old church. We out in the boonies. We out in the woods. Small church. Pine trees. And I was... Oh, I was preaching to everybody that was there, but I was really only talking to one person. You know how that goes? I was honing in on one person. That was my mom. And I gave the, the gospel and over and over again, and trying to explain it. And I asked for a raise of hand, and my mom slipped that little hand up, and she put it right back down. You know. I talked to her many times after that. So anyway, I want you to take your Bible and turn to the book of Ecclesiastes. The book of Ecclesiastes. Way back there in the Old Testament, after the book of Proverbs, you know where it's uh, really wise in talking to people? Proverbs. And then, uh-oh, Ecclesiastes. As you read the book of Ecclesiastes, you'll find one of the key phrases, under the sun, under the sun, under the sun. What it means is, as a man without God. How you see life without God. Now, let's just pretend we're going to do a little pretending tonight. Pretend that there is no God. Now, according to uh, the 14th chapter of Psalms, 14th Psalm, verse 1, a fool hath said in his heart, there is no God, but let's just be foolish for a moment and say there is no God. If there is no God, what would become the purpose of life? Why are we here? Now, you're going to have to do a lot of searching to try to find a purpose in life, a purpose for life itself. So take your Bible and turn to the book of uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and look there in verse 19. So you'd have to come to the conclusion that if there is no God, then there is no real difference between man and animals. For in verse 19, for that which befalleth the sons of men befalleth beasts. Even one thing befalleth them, as the one dieth, so dieth the other. Yea, they all have one breath, so that a man hath no preeminence above a beast, for all is vanity. Same thing happens to animals, it happens to people. You ever look at an animal? They got eyes, we got eyes. They got a nose, we got a nose. They got a mouth, we got a mouth. They got ears, we got ears. They can walk, we can walk. I mean, so what makes the difference between you and animal? They die, we die. You see, when you can't see God... You can't see what happens when something dies. Then it's left up to your imagination. Well, if there is no God, then death is the end of everything. So we uh, just pretend there's no difference between us and, and an animal. Take your Bible and look there in the Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Just turn to your left there, chapter 2, and look in verse 17. Verse 17 and verse 19. Therefore I hated life because the work that is wrought under the sun is grievous unto me. For all is vanity and vexation of spirit. That's because there's no purpose. When the seed well, there's no purpose, why do it? Why do anything? There's no purpose. So then you've got to try to figure out how to just make you happy. And this is where really, believe it or not, most people are. They live like an atheist. They have no purpose in life. So they go from one thing to another, trying to figure out what will make me happy. 
because it all will revolve around themselves. What do I want to do? So he says in verse 18, Yea, I hated all my labor, which I had taken under the sun, because I should leave it unto the man that shall be after me. Oh, why should I work and slave and build all of it and just all I'm going to do is leave it to the person that comes after me? Why? Well, we're just pretending that there's no God. No difference between us and animals. And the purpose of life is gone because there is no purpose. Because that means a planner, an intelligent design, reasons. Well, there can be none of that. We're just a bunch of accidents. And oh, it's just a uh, big bang. Lo and behold, the blob floating around in the ooze of an owl. And lo and behold, here we are. But we're just an accident. And there is no God. There's no purpose to life. So power would make right. Just do whatever you want to do. Where would morals come from? Who were standards? What right has one dog got to tell another dog what a dog can and cannot do? I mean, what right would a person have to tell somebody what they can and cannot do? So what's wrong with, you know, if you want to kill somebody, you just kill somebody. You know, they're just an animal anyway. Even want to, you know, treat somebody wrong, steal, lie, cheat. So what? Who says it's wrong? According to who? See, there would be no right and wrong. But we're just pretending. Because there is no God. Because if there is no God, all these other things that I'm saying would be true. So, in uh, verse 19, he says, And who knoweth uh, whether he shall be a wise man or a fool? Yet shall he have rule over all my labor, wherein I have labored, and wherein I have shown myself wise under the sun? This is also vanity. In other words, I may have been wise and produced all these, this wealth, only to leave it to a fool. What's the purpose in that? So, it um, kind of deflates the purpose of life, kills the will to live. You know, there's a lot of people that live under that assumption because they don't believe there is a God. There's no purpose to life. Why should I make my marriage work? If I don't want to, I don't. Who cares how the kids turn out? Who really cares? What's right and wrong? What's my goal? What's my purpose in raising children? So just do whatever you want to do. Most parents do. Because nothing matters. Look in Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Chapter 4. Look there in verse 1. In verse 1, So I returned and considered all the oppressions that are done under the sun. You keep noticing that phrase, under the sun. It's like a lost man's viewpoint. A lost man who has no hope in God. And this is what the conclusions will be. This is how you're going to think. And behold the tears of such as were oppressed. They had no comforter. And on the side of their oppressors there was, there was power, but they had no comforter. Because see, you and I, we know, okay, there's the Holy Spirit. He's a comforter. He helps us. God. Okay, but there's, those, there's no God. See, there is no such thing. A lot of people get a lot of comfort out of believing you know, in what God said, but it, there is no God. And so if there is no God, he didn't say anything. And if he didn't say anything, we're on our own. You're on your own. So we're all on this globe, I right here in the middle of space, 
Where are we going? What's the purpose? What's behind all of it? Look in verse 2. Wherefore I praised the dead, which are already dead, more than the living, which are yet alive. In other words, the dead person is better off than the person that's alive. You know, if all this is true, if there is no God, then the people that are dead are better off than those that are still living. You realize how much longer you might have to live? And you may have a lot of sorrow and a lot of misery coming down the road. So this is why people who have no hope want to end it sooner. So that's all there is, you know. So where do you go when you die? Well, you just go to the grave, just six feet under. And that's what a lot of people think. There is no hope. All is vanity and vexation of spirit. It means everything's empty. It's all hollow. There's no, no purpose to anything. So here in verse 3 says, Yea, better is he than both they which had not yet been, who have not seen the evil work that is done under the sun. In other words, a man that's dead is better than the person that's alive or the person who is yet to be born. Hmm. Doesn't this sound very encouraging and uplifting? I mean, this is the way it is when you live without God. But I got uh, some news for you. There is no purpose, not only, there's no purpose in life. But without God, there's no purpose in death. What's the purpose of death? Why? If there's no God, it's not why is there life, why is there death? Explain it. They can't explain it. Why does anything die? What's the purpose of death? What's accomplished by death? Well, so if there is no God, then you'll have to admit then there's no heaven, then there's no hell. And we are of all men most miserable. And then, and then, Christ came. And then Christ came. That changes everything. If Christ is real, and if he is who he claimed to be, it changes everything. It means that there is a God. Jesus coming into this world proves there is a God. Because God had it wrote in the Word and told all this in advance. So if there is a God and Jesus is God, then there is a purpose to life. And there is a Creator. And we were created. And if we were created, then a God created you and I for a purpose. That means that I have a purpose in living, and there is a purpose in dying. There's a purpose. The key, of course, is always to find out what, what it is. And then 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7 says that your joy may be full. They're saying that God wants us to know about Him. So what would you think would be the total reason for being, for living, our goal, the purpose of a man's life? What is the duty of man? What is the duty of man? 
What does God want him to do? So Christ's coming says that there is a God. Christ's coming says that there is a difference between man and animals. And that there is a purpose to life and a purpose to death. There is a reason. It also means that there is hope beyond the grave. And there's something that man needs to, to listen to. I want you to take your Bible and look there in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 12. You're in the same book, just turn over there to Ecclesiastes and chapter 12. Now I believe that Solomon, living under the law because David lived under the law, and this is a conclusion, a sum of the whole matter. Look at verse 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God, keep His commandments, for this, and you ought to underline this in your word, in the Bible, this is the whole duty of man. Now, since we're not under the law and we're not living, you know, 3,000 years ago, we still understand from the teaching and the principles laid down in the book of Ecclesiastes that there is a God and that man should fear God. And the whole duty of man is to know his word and serve him. In verse 14, for God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be bad. God will. So there is accountability. There's accountability. You know, there's um, a lot of people who think that, well, I'm a self-made man. I don't need God. I don't need God. Let me just kind of give you a, a little bit of an idea how stupid that statement is. A man to say, I don't need God. All right, let me ask you this. Do you need food to live? All right, you do. Who made it? God. So God made the food, and you need food to live. So you don't need God, but God made the food. Okay, see if you can live without the food, because you don't need God. Hmm. Another point. Does a man need air to live? <gasps> hmm. You need air to live. Okay, question. Who made the air? So God made the air that you need to live, but you don't need God. So let's do away with what God provided. Let's do away with the air. Are you still so independent? Now, I don't need God. Then you don't need food, and you don't need air. You see, I need God, because God supplies the air. God supplies the food. And without God, there would be no food, there would be no air. Do you need water? I think you probably need water. Question, who made the water? God. But you don't need God. Do you need, do you need water? 
then evidently you need God. Because God is the one that made the water. Do you realize I could go on and on? And yet there's people, I don't need God. Okay, take away everything God provided. See how well you're doing. Maybe you don't need that body you got either. Maybe God could take that body away from you. And then what? Well, so I must admit to being inferior. And I must admit that I am dependent upon God for life. My life came from God and I depend upon God for sustaining my life. Remember in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and he made that garden and took the dirt of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul and God put him in this beautiful, beautiful, beautiful garden. God has provided everything that we need because we could not exist without God. And you don't need God. Sounds a little uh, like a man's filled with he's arrogant. Besides being a fool, he's dumb, stupid, ignorant. Because anybody with reasonable thinking power knows that without the Lord, there, there would be no life. I was looking at that little baby that Betty was holding yesterday at the wedding. Little old bitty tyke. Little old bitty thing. And the little boy was there, and I had told him this earlier. I says, is that, is that a real baby? I said, that's not a toy. I said, you mean it's real? And you look at a little baby, and you think, how in the world could anybody think that this was created by a man? God had to do this to make a baby. You realize that everything has the power to reproduce after its own kind, just like God said. To reproduce the power to procreate, it's unreal. It's a miracle. Because you could not have designed it. What part of this baby could you have developed without the other parts being developed and the baby live? You see, it was all done it's all at one time. You got his ears and nose and eyes and all that there all at once. It's, it's all there. Arms and legs, it's all there. I considered it to be a, a miracle. Turn in your Bible to the book of Romans in chapter 14. The book of Romans in chapter 14. Romans 14, and look there in verse 12. You don't have verse 12 underlined in your Bible. You maybe could, should consider it. But you see, there is a God, and because there is a God, I am different from animals, and I do have a purpose in life, and there is a purpose in death, and the whole duty of man is to find out what does God want man to do. In Romans in chapter 14, look there in verse 12. So then, every one of us shall give account of himself to nothing, to God. Because there is a God, man is accountable 
Man is responsible. That means that I'm supposed to do something that this God wants me to do. So the key, of course, is to find out what is it that God wants me to do with my life that he gave to me. I love these verses. Just look at verse 10. Well, why dost thou judge thy brother? Why saidest not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. This is those that know Christ as Savior, yes. And all the people that don't know the Lord, they still got to give an account to the Lord. It's appointed unto every man once to die, and after this, the judgment. So there is accountability. Man does have to, he's going to have to do it. So I am personally responsible to God. And I wrote something down in my little notes here. This is what I wrote down. No power or another line of authority can relieve me of a God-given responsibility. Nobody has the right to relieve me of my God-given responsibility. I am personally accountable. I am personally responsible. And there is coming a day of reckoning. Payday, someday. We've got to give an account to God. So life is just getting ready, preparing to meet God. Do you know there's a verse in the Old Testament that says, Prepare to meet thy God. Dum, da, dum, dum, dum. Look in Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. You know this talks a little bit about the parables and all in chapter 13. But look in verse 38. Verse 38. Just kind of give you a little bit of an idea. As God, God looks at this world. He says the world is a field. And God has placed us into the world. Means into the field. So he says the field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom. Now that would be a reference to those that know the Lord. But all I know is that here is the world and I'm in the world, and there's two things I need to find out about this old world in which I, I live. One, what am I doing here, and where is it that he wants me to do it? So what is my job, and where does he want me to do my job? The Bible talks about us being sowers and reapers. You'll find many illustrations given. We're sowing and reaping. Sowing and reaping. The 126 Psalms is about sowing and reaping. There's another verse found there in the book of um, Galatians in chapter 6. Look at this verse real quick. Galatians in chapter 6. And look there in verse 7. Verse 7. If you see and understand just a few simple things... You'll notice there, as he talks to those who know Christ as Savior, verse 7, Be not deceived. God is not mocked. So how do you mock God? By thinking you can do whatever you please and get away with it. That's what it boils down to. There's a price to pay. Bad decisions will reap certain consequences. Good decisions will reap certain consequences. But in verse 7, he said, For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also 
reap. So we're put into this world for a purpose. And I believe that main purpose is to sow and to reap. So you and I are going to sow things and we're going to reap things. So you say, well, I didn't ask to be born. Who did? But here we are. And so you and I, while we're in this world, um, for the last 50 years, I have been sowing. Now, when you read the book of Ruth, you'll find that it talks about sowing handfuls on purpose. In other words, she's sowing seed on purpose. Why is she doing that? Because she has a purpose. It's going to be sown, and something's going to grow, and something's going to come up, and somebody's going to reap something. Every time you go to work, you're sowing a certain amount of work. You're dispensing labor. And people are paying you for something that you gave. So you are sowing and reaping a paycheck. Every one of us in this room, if you've ever held a job, you sow and you reap. When it comes to a wife, you are sowing certain things and you're going to reap certain things. So be careful how you sow. And the wife is sowing and reaping. Children are learning how to sow and reap. To the Christian, is it not true that we are to sow and to reap? That's what the Word of God is talking about. Now, you and I know that we're in a field. And we're supposed to sow the good seed. The good seed. Now, I wonder what that is. And it tells you that the seed, the good seed, is the Word of God. So you and I have a purpose. We're to sow the good seed. If I'm sowing good seed, then I expect certain things to come from that. You know why over the years I have sought to be faithful to sowing? And sowing on purpose. In other words, doing it deliberately, not accidentally but deliberately. In other words, it's, it's something that I do because it's a right thing to do. It's something God wants me to do. And I do it because everyone should do it that knows the Lord. And we are anticipating that when we sow, somewhere down the road, we're going to reap. There's going to be results to what we're doing. And the only reason you do that is because you believe that the seed that I'm sowing is going to profit. In the book of Isaiah, it says that God has sent forth his seed into the world. And he says he expects something to come from that which has been sown. And he's talking about his word and he's talking about souls. So here in Galatians, when he's talking about this, he says, Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. So it is about sowing and reaping. Sometimes we reap where we have not sown. And the Lord refers to that in the 25th chapter of the book of Matthew. I knew I'd heard that somewhere before. 
And sometimes we sow and we, we don't reap exactly what we sow. So as we sow, we live with the expectation we're going to reap. So we sow on purpose because there's a reason for it. God in heaven has a purpose for our sowing. And God wants to reap. So there's a purpose. We are looking forward one day to go into heaven because we believe that it's all true. There is a God. It does make a difference. There is a purpose to life. And that there is a reason for me to die. There's a purpose in my dying. Because I haven't figured out a way to get there without leaving here. And the body is not sufficient to live for eternity. Unless God intervenes and gives me a glorified body before I die, which is my request. I'm looking forward to the day when the rapture takes place. And if I die by the way of the grave, that's okay too. Either way. But there's a purpose in it. And God works all things according to the good pleasure of His own will. So you and I are not supposed to live like the lost people. We're not supposed to live like there is no God. That is the purpose of everything in our life. Why do you want a good marriage? Because God wants it. Why do you want to be a good wife? Because God wants you to be a good wife. Why do you want to be a good husband? Because God wants you to be a good husband. Why do you want to be a good father? Because God wants you to be a good father. Why do you want to be a good mother? Because God wants you to be a good mother. Why do I want to be a good pastor? Because God wants me to be a good pastor. Why do you want to be a good member? Because God wants you to be a good member. It's all about Him. It's what He wants. And you're not here, and I'm not here, for our own little bitty purposes. We're here as one conclusion. To fear God and study His Word and sow the seed. And if you look there in the last part of verse 9, it says, But let us not be weary in well-doing. It means in the sowing. Because sometimes you don't reap right away. It takes patience. A farmer does not sow today and reap, you know, tomorrow morning. There could be a long time in between the sowing and the reaping. And the patience of you and I is that we'll be patient until we get to heaven. And we're going to wait. And we don't become impatient. We just keep on sowing and keep on reaping. Because that's the will of God and that's the purpose. So you and I are, says here, in due season, we might reap. We shall reap. If we faint not. If you don't quit. This is talking about your service to the Lord. Don't stop. Don't quit. Don't let the philosophy of the world permeate your mind. It will so depress you. So humiliate you. Cause your whole life to look at it as nothing but vanity and vexation of spirit. It destroys the will to live. It can kill the will to go to church. Kill the will 
The spirit to study God's word, to pass out a track, talk to people about the Lord, it totally destroys. It'll rip the life right out of you when you get away from the main purpose. There is a God. We are responsible. And that's what God wants. Let me close with these verses. I want you to look there in John chapter 4. The Gospel of John and chapter 4. Look there in uh, verse 35. Verse 35. This is what Jesus said. As though it was the part of his life. The reason for his life. He says, Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes, look on the fields, for they are white, are ready to harvest. And he that reapeth, receiveth wages. In other words, God will pay a soul winner. God will pay you to win souls. Can you believe him? I did this one time in ranch. I said, how many of y'all, if I was to give you $1,000 for every person you led to Christ, how many of you would feel like God wants you to be a full-time soul winner? Let me see your hand. But hands went all over the place. And you do it here too. If I would pay you $1,000 for every person you led to Christ, all of a sudden, I, the Lord's leading me. And you wouldn't worry about all the other stuff. You would just do it. You would just do it. But I'm not going to give you $1,000. So don't try this with me. But there's a God in heaven that will pay you a lot more than $1,000. It's just that we can't see what the wages are. We can't see. We can't even fathom what it's going to be like when we get to heaven and God rewards you for your faithfulness. I wonder what it's going to be like. Would you like to be there and God says, uh, Okay, where's, where's all the ones that uh, blah, blah, blah led to Christ? Let me see your hands. Let me see your hands. Well, where are you? I gave you 30 years to live, and you're trying to tell me that you don't have anybody? See this room over here? All these treasures and rewards and all that? To, that's what I was going to give you. And you don't get anything? Now, you're in heaven. Oh, you're glad about your being there. But there's going to be something that takes place because God has to wipe away tears from our eyes. And it says in the book of 2 Corinthians in chapter 5 that we're going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ. And the next verse talks about knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. We persuade men. You persuade men. It's not just a matter of sowing the seeds. We're supposed to try to persuade a person. You can't make them, but can you use the Word of God in such a way and bait them and convince a person to trust Christ as Savior? Whatever it takes. But I do believe that it's worth it. Look what he says here in this verse. In verse 36, He that reapeth receiveth wages and gathereth fruit, fruit that lasts forever. You see, when a person trusts Christ as Savior, they have eternal life. That's fruit. With life everlasting. That's why it's so important. Look there in verse 37. Herein is that saying true. One soweth, another reaps. I sent you to reap, that whereon you bestowed no labor. Other men labored, and ye are entered into their labors. 
So you're going to get to reap some of the benefits because, see, uh, he had already also, you know, sent them out two by two, and they went in all the cities, and they spread the word, and blah, blah, blah. And sometimes somebody else has already been witnesses to somebody, and you might come along, and it's like the fruit just dropped in your hand. You say, man, they were right. Boy, they were right. Yeah, but some, somebody else may have already been talking to them about the Lord, and you just got the benefits. And then you'll talk to somebody else until you're blue in the face and spend two or three hours with them, and they won't trust the Lord, and then somebody else comes right behind you and picks the fruit. You see, you're rewarded because of your faithfulness. You're rewarded because of your faithfulness. Just be faithful. It will be worth it all. But anyway, it's just something to kind of keep in mind because as we go through life, there's always a lot of things in this whole world that gets into our minds and we wonder whether or not, is it worth it? Is it worth it? And you can become so discouraged because of all the problems you have that you get your eyes off the purpose off the goal. A friend of mine named Greg Steer, he says, I always keep trying to drive the cause into people's minds. True? Drive the cause. What's the cause? The great cause. The cause is the great commission. About three years ago, I met with him out there in Colorado. I had flown out there for something. So we sat down and we talked and he was laying out all this stuff that he's going to do. And I thought, <laughs> this guy comes up with more ideas on trying to get the same job done, but he hits it from this angle, and the next time I see him, he'll come at it from another angle, but he's always, he's always after it. And uh, I, I learned something from him. I mean, he challenges me up. He encourages me. And so we do have fruit that will last forever. Keep sowing. Don't get weary and well-doing. Put a smile on your face. Don't always be down. Somebody told me this morning, and said, you know, you should have been a stand-up comedian. Do you know, I didn't plan half of that funny stuff that I said this morning. Maybe some of it was, some of it wasn't. But it's, it's the way that I am. I enjoy life. Don't you enjoy being alive? It's, it's so short, this little period of time that we have to live. It's not going to last very long. And we're going to be out of here. So we do what we can while we can. And we're not supposed to think that, you know, my God died or he's sick and I'm, you know. No, he's alive. Talk to him this morning. He's feeling fine. This is you and me. This is all the things that we do wrong. And God says all of us are sinners. The reason we commit the sin because we have an old sinful nature. And God says all have sinned and come short of his perfection. That means we're all condemned. To go to heaven, you have to be perfect as righteous as God, and none of us are perfect. God says you can't earn eternal life, you can't work your way to heaven, you can't buy it. So a man needs a Savior. This hand represents Jesus Christ, he's the Lord. God in the flesh, he came into the world. Because he loves us, but he hates our sin. And see, our sin separates us from the Lord. So Christ took the sin, paid for it on the cross, and came back from the dead and said that if we would believe he did it for us. He would put the payment that he made to our account. And we get to go to heaven on what Christ did for us. That's the best news in the world. That's the best news to keep telling people about. So let me encourage you. Don't, don't get weary in well-doing. Just hang in and keep, keep going. Just always stay at it. And love your husbands. Love your wives. Love your kids. You know, they're going to be gone one of these days, and they won't be around for you to, to love anymore. 
I mentioned this morning, I wish I, could, I knew a lot of stuff years ago, but it, it's kind of late. I, I know I could have shown my mama and my brothers and sisters. I could have loved them better than I did. Uh, my son, David, it's in heaven right now. I, I think I could have done a better job. I could have loved him more. Showed it better. There's so many things that I wish I could go back and undo, and I, I can't do it. So why you can, or what you have. L love what you have. And love the Lord. Let's pray, shall we? If you have never trusted Christ as your Savior, understand that, yes, God loves you. And He paid for your sins. All of them, not some of them, all of them. And the only thing that you have to do is believe that he did it for you. And God said, if you'll believe that he died and paid for your sins, that payment he made, put to your account. You get to go to heaven on what he did. And he said he'd never cast you out, never lose you. So would you trust him? Would you believe it? There is a God. There is a God. And everything that I'm telling you is the truth. And if you'll trust Christ as your Savior right now, God would save you right now and give you eternal life. So with head bowed, eyes closed, is there anyone at all? Say, yes, pray for me. I will accept Christ as my Savior. And I'd like for you to pray for me. Anyone at all before we close? Anyone at all? Our Father, we thank you so much for all that you've done for us. For giving us that hope, that joyful anticipation that one day it's all going to be over here. And we're going to be in heaven. That there was a purpose in our being born. There's a purpose in our life. There's a purpose in our death. We pray, Lord, that we would understand, accept whatever you have for us, to be used for your honor and for your glory. Thank you for this church and these good people. And Father, this could be a hard week for some people. And some may face financial problems and some health, but whatever it is, we know that the great comforter of the Holy Spirit will walk us through it. Father, there's a lot of people that don't believe that there is a God. They don't have a comforter. They have no one to show them compassion and to forgive. But Father, we do. And help us to share that as we sow and as we reap. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.